Join us on an adventure to the 2023 Planetary Defense Conference, this week on Planetary Radio. I'm Sarah Al-Ahmed of the Planetary Society, with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. The Planetary Defense Conference took place in Vienna, Austria last month. Matt Kaplan, the Planetary Society's Senior Communications Advisor, will share a look behind the scenes at the conference and what it means for the future of planetary defense. Then Bruce Betts, our Chief Scientist, will update you on the upcoming night sky and the Ada Aquarid meteor shower. Now it's time for some space news. Unfortunately, the Japanese ice-based lunar lander is presumed to have crashed. The Hakuto-R Mission 1 lander, which was developed by the private company iSpace, attempted a landing on the lunar surface on April 25th. The touchdown ended in a loss of communication from the lander. iSpace CEO Takeshi Hakamata said that the mission still yielded a lot of valuable information and will help future lunar missions succeed. China has announced new plans for two of its space science programs. The China National Space Administration announced last week that its Tianwen-3 Mars Sample Return Mission, which is scheduled to launch in 2030, will likely use a small helicopter like NASA's Ingenuity. The helicopter will collect samples near the accompanying lander. The agency also announced its plans to build and launch an array of telescopes in deep space to search for habitable planets orbiting other stars. And of course, the Ingenuity Mars helicopter is back at it. The experimental drone completed its 51st flight and snapped another iconic image of its shadow from about 12 meters or 40 feet up. The Perseverance rover also makes an appearance in the image in the top left in the distance, blending into the red rocks at the rim of Belva Crater. Speaking of awesome pictures from the Red Planet, on our April 5th show, we celebrated two years of the Emirates Mars mission with Mohsen Alawadi, director of the Space Missions Department at the UAE Space Agency. He teased the Hope Probe's upcoming images of Mars's moon Deimos. I'm happy to announce that they were released last week, and they're gorgeous. You can check out these images and learn more about these stories in the April 28th edition of our weekly newsletter, The Downlink. Read it or subscribe to have it sent to your inbox for free every Friday at planetary.org downlink. Planetary Radio's creator and longtime host, Matt Kaplan, is back. He's now the Planetary Society's Senior Communications Advisor, and he's just returned from the 2023 Planetary Defense Conference. In addition to hosting a live public event, he also caught up with a handful of this year's conference attendees. Here's his report. This year's gathering in Vienna, Austria, was my fourth Planetary Defense Conference. The PDC is the biannual gathering of planet Earth's top experts on near-Earth objects, the havoc and heartbreak an impact by a big one could cause, and how we are learning to avoid such a catastrophe. The four-day April meeting was the biggest yet, with attendees from every continent, including Antarctica, if you count the researchers who look for meteorites there. The Planetary Society is a longtime primary sponsor of the PDC. Defending our world from these threats has long been one of our core enterprises. We were joined by the International Academy of Astronautics, the European Space Agency, and NASA's Planetary Defense Coordination Office. Other supporters and sponsors include organizations ranging from the Austrian Academy of Sciences to the United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs. In fact, the first three days of the conference were hosted by the UN at its sprawling complex next to the Danube River. 
It was there on the first day of the conference that I met four members of the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab team behind DART, the Double Asteroid Redirection Test. It was on the 26th of September last year that DART slammed into Dimorphos, the 177-meter-wide companion to much larger Didymos. The first session of the 2023 PDC was devoted to hearing some of the early and spectacular results of the mission, including the thrilling confirmation that we really did change the course of a space rock. If you've been with us a while, you'll recognize the first of the DART folks I talked with during a break. Uh, Nancy Chabot, DART Coordination Lead at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab. Caitlin Shearer, DART Project Manager at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab. Andy Rifkin, Investigation Team Lead at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory. I'm Tarek Daly. I'm the Deputy Instrument Scientist for the camera on DART, also at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory. Nancy, I'm going to start with you. Because as spectacular as it was, looking at these images and hearing this data, these results, I kept glancing over your way. You were just beaming ear to ear during this entire first session at the PDC, and it's easy to see why. It is absolutely easy to see why. I mean, DART has been hugely successful. And I think one of the things that's so gratifying is to see all the different data sets coming together to give this picture about not just what DART did, but what it's going to lead to going forward, what this means for developing a technology to potentially prevent impacts from hitting the Earth. You have done such a good job over quite a few years now keeping us up to date on the mission, but we do have all these other great folks for us to meet. I'm going to jump over to you, Andy, first. Not bad for a science mission, huh? <laughs> it's not bad for any kind of mission. We really did a, you know, really did a great job. The engineers did an amazing job of delivering us there and uh, allowing the experiment to happen. And then, of course, our, our international investigation team has done an amazing job of of interpreting the data, making the measurements, following this beautiful object, this beautiful comet we made across the sky, and, and uh, letting us do this work to hopefully uh, prevent impacts in the future. First human-created comet. I hadn't thought of that. Well, yeah, uh, some folks uh, that I, some colleagues I have who work on, you know, natural comets maybe don't like to hear that so much, but I, I tell them, you know, this, if, if no one had seen it before and they found it in the sky, they would absolutely be calling it a comet. It's, it's got most of what comets have. It just, you know, we, we had to make it ourselves. One of the more spectacular images, we saw the very last presenter today representing Lichia, that wonderful little companion of darts. We got to talk to the head of the Lichia mission at the Artemis 1, well, the first attempt anyway to launch Artemis 1 because there was such a great international turnout there. I just wonder if any of you have any thoughts about, I assume, the enormous amount of gratitude you must have because you got that sort of grandstand view of this impact. Lichia Cube was a huge partner uh, for DART. Without Lichia Cube's contributions, we would have only had, which were amazing anyways, our space-based and ground-based telescope measurements. But uh, because of Lichia Cube being there during the DART impact, we're able to see this fabulous ejecta, and we're able to understand more about the structure of DART and be able to understand a little bit more about the composition as well. And this is all amazing, which would have not have happened without Lichia Cube. In this very next session, we're going to be picking up the next step out at uh, Didymos, and that's the Hera mission. 
Um, I just wonder, anybody have thoughts about what you're hoping they'll see? Yes. So I'm really excited for them to measure the mass of Dimorphos. That is the largest uncertainty we have right now in beta and in the system. Um, and as the person that built the shape model in large part for Dimorphos, you know, it's great, but to actually have a direct measurement of the mass will reduce a lot of the uncertainties that we have and move us towards that more operational planetary defense capability once we understand beta as a value rather than this large range because of the uncertainty in the mass. I assume we're going to be seeing papers generated by DART, by Lichia Cube, for maybe years to come? Yeah, we've already uh, had the first set of papers come out. We're probably up to six or seven or eight by now. We're making sure by, by team policy that they're open access so, so anyone can get to them in the various journals they're published in. Looking at those amazing Leecher Cube images, like we said, looking at these uh, amazing Draco images incoming, I'm also personally hoping that, that you know, we see images in sci-fi movies that are inspired <laughs> by, you know, here's, here's what an impact in space looks like. Here's what it happens when you hit an asteroid with stuff, uh, that, that this now sets kind of the paradigm for the next generation of people to get inspired by space, go into the movies inspired by sci-fi. Nancy, where do we go from here? I mean, other than seeing this data continue to come in and papers being published. Well, it's exciting to be here just right now at the Planetary Defense Conference where we're sharing all of this. We've got numerous team members here and we're sharing it with the international community. There's going to be some great discussions here about what are those next steps, what goes forward. We're excited about Hera, Neo Surveyor, finding the asteroids. We can't do anything about them if we don't know where they are. It's all going to be part of this larger strategy. You know, and then I was uh, part of the Decadal Survey as well. And so I'm very excited about what goes forward, that DART was just the start, that we're opening up this whole era of pioneering planetary defense and taking steps after step after step to make this future that we want to live in. Thank you, all of you. And beyond that, thank you to you proud parents and everybody else who contributed to this mission. Maybe our most dramatic step ever toward achieving one of the primary initiatives of my organization, the Planetary Society, Planetary Defense, defending us from that rock out there that has our name on it. It's out there someplace, right? Thank you, everybody. Oh, thank Thanks. You. Great, to, great to talk with you. Thanks for having us. The European Space Agency's HERA mission will begin its journey in October of this year. The spacecraft will make humanity's third visit to Didymos and Dimorphos in 2026, following DART and Lichia Cube. So it was appropriate that the second session of the 2023 PDC was devoted to this mission, but before it began, I grabbed Lindley Johnson, NASA's Planetary Defense Officer, for a brief conversation. Lindley, we're right outside. The second session has just begun. I don't want to keep you from hearing about the HERA mission in there, but I'm so glad to catch you again. I, I don't know, it's probably a little too grand to call you the father of the feast, but when you think of the role that NASA and the Planetary Defense Coordination Office has played in this effort, I mean, we just heard it all in that glorious report from uh, from the DART team. This has got to be gratifying. Well, yes, it is. Uh, uh, you see all this culmination of a lot of hard work by folks uh, over the last uh, uh, few years. Uh, but, you know, there are those of us that have been in this business for for, you know, two and three decades now, uh, when we started out when it was still a giggle factor uh, about this whole 
thing. So it's you know extremely gratifying that uh, you know our first missions have been so successful, and they have uh, been international missions as well. The participation on the DART mission by uh, the Italian Space Agency was, and what we got from the Lucia Cube is just uh, spectacular. Those Lucia Cube images, just I mean I've seen them on the page before, but watching them on the big screen here at the conference just blows me away. Yeah, I, I mean, their success with uh, such a small project and such a small spacecraft uh, is a uh, uh, contribution to the overall DART mission is uh, just great. And in the relative magnitude of, of uh, effort uh, has gone in, uh, you know, equally worthy of celebration as the, DART, the entire DART mission. When I walked up, and she's now gone back into the conference to hear the next session, you were standing with Amy Meinzer. Is it safe to say the next big effort in space by NASA and the PDCO? Yes, absolutely. The NEO Surveyor mission is one that uh, has been in the works for a while, as, uh, as you know. And uh, we now have it on its way for development, full-scale development, and uh, launch uh, not later than uh, 2028. Uh, and that is uh, going to be the, uh, the next significant step because uh, we got to find them first. Uh, we can't do anything about them in, unless we find them, uh, know what orbits are in, uh, predict. And that's what NEO Surveyor is going to do for us. It's not going to be the spectacular event, uh, you know, a dart hitting, hitting an asteroid, but it is actually more important uh, that we have this catalog of potentially hazardous objects uh, in hand so we know what we, if anything, uh, what we need to worry about and when we need to worry about it. Got to find them before we can knock them off course. That's absolutely right. Or knock, knock, knock them into a better course. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, better way to put it. Um, you already said it. You have been at this for decades now. And when you look at that crowd in there, which I, I'm just assuming is the biggest that has ever attended a PDC, and then we have all the people participating virtually, you said that we're past the giggle factor. We really do seem to be well past that. This now seems to be well recognized by the international community as something we should learn how to deal with. Oh, yes. Well, you know, the support that we've gotten from the United Nations and the Office of Space Affairs here is, has been great, uh, you know, and they got involved with us uh, now two decades ago quite frankly, uh, when we started out the uh, uh, Action Team 14 and the NEO uh, working group here uh, with the Office of Outer Space Affairs. And to see where it is now, uh, the su support, uh, you know, very serious topic of discussion uh, within the United Nations and the Committee on Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. When I started things three decades ago, I mean, that was just a, a vision that uh, we, we'd have this level of international cooperation. So it's, it's, it's great to see. And I was just thinking about that sitting down there at the opening uh, uh, speech by uh, Nicholas Hedman of uh, how far we've come. Thank you, Lindley, for all the leadership that you've shown over these uh, three decades and uh, for continuing to uh, lead this on behalf of NASA. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, been extremely gratifying. The people that are involved with it make it happen. You know, I just kind of, you know, direct the cats where they need to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good herding there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. On its last day, the PDC moved across Vienna to the beautiful headquarters of the Austrian Academy of Sciences. My wife and I had met our next guest at the previous night's banquet. Elisa J. Hadaji of Harvard University co-led creation 
of a planetary defense report by the Ad Hoc Working Group on Legal Issues, part of the UN's Space Mission Planning Advisory Group. During that fascinating dinner conversation, we were among the first to learn that Elisa and her dinner guest would soon be married. The conference has just ended in this absolutely spectacular room. You know, when you, when you open a dictionary and look for the word ornate, they should just show you a picture of this room. The PDC is over. Any general impressions before we, I ask you the question that I really wanted to grab you for? Fantastic conference in an absolutely gorgeous venue. I agree with you. You have played a big part in this. You were up on stage. But what I really want to, we could talk about anything that's been covered. But what was so intriguing talking with you, especially last night during the conference banquet, are the considerations that surround the possible and maybe necessary use of a nuclear weapon. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't call it a weapon, a nuclear explosive, uh, if we're going to protect Earth from one of the larger rocks that may be out there lying in wait for us. Yes, your point of do we call it a weapon, do do we call it a nuclear explosive device? What was interesting during this conference is that in the end, it does not make a difference. It, there will be a nuclear explosion. There will be the launch of a nuclear item. So uh, it can be absolutely considered as a nuclear bomb. There has been a great deal of discussion here about the legality of that because use of nuclear devices is specifically prohibited in space. Yes, absolutely. If you look at the Article 4 of the Outer Space Treaty or even at the Limited Test Ban Treaty, you cannot send a nuclear device in space, you cannot put it around the Earth, you cannot station it, and you cannot even do a nuclear explosion, meaning that you cannot directly go to your target and explode a bomb without even having to put it around the Earth because it is going against international law. But there are ways for international law to be superseded by the UN Security Council ways that uh, these are already exist or would they have to be put in place? No, these ways already exist. So the, uh, the UN Security Council can put up a vote to authorize this use of a nuclear device for planetary defense purposes. You would need to have nine of the 15 votes of the members of the UN Security Council and no veto. Hmm. This gets into another issue, which is at, at, at perhaps as um, sociological and political as legal, and that is the degree of trust that would ha- be needed for the use of these weapons, because there might be nations who, either out of paranoia or realism, might be afraid that that missile headed, supposedly headed toward an asteroid, gee, what if it accidentally heads toward my capital? Absolutely, and you have also two other problems, which are that you you could have a problem at launch, and this would mean having a nuclear explosion potentially at launch at the launch site. Mm. The second other problem is that because it's banned, you could not test these types of tools currently. So, would it be interesting to have it authorized to have a test in space? Well, this already goes against uh, international law. So, in the case of a um, of a threat of an imminent threat, you could imagine the UN Security Council authorizing a launch, but this launch might have a problem on site and might have a problem because we have not tested the the technology. How much of a challenge do you see this as going forward? Is it something that you think (laughs) 
if and when the time comes, we'll be able to pull this off. Not technologically so much. We know we can do that, I think. But with all these other challenges. Well, I find the discourse at the PDC very positive. It opens the doors to the social scientists, to the decision makers, to the lawyers, and they're more and more involving them in, in everything, in all the discussions. And we can see that with collaboration, with coordination, we could have these conversations at higher levels. We could have the Secretariat of the UN involved in being aware of these issues and potentially making those decisions. Let's close with coming back to your experience here at the PDC, where I think one of the things that has been very gratifying to me, I mean, the session that we just watched was about education, both informal and formal education, but uh, the other, the political concerns, the legal concerns, which I think have got more attention this year. Do you, is that gratifying? Absolutely. Hearing people say that, especially in this feedback session that we were just attending, that they listened to the law and policy sessions and were not bored. To us, it's a victory. <laughs> because we want to make this, these legal discourses accessible to the public because we want to involve them, we want to hear feedback, we want to understand who we are talking with and not who we are talking to. Why is this planetary defense a topic that you put so much passion into? There is nothing more uniting than looking at how to protect the Earth from a large asteroid. We are all involved and it's my hope that in these situations where every single human being would be impacted, no matter how large the object would be, that there would be a push for international collaboration. Let us hope. Thanks so much. Thank you. I hope I'll still be around and allowed to attend the 2025 Planetary Defense Conference as our progress toward defending Earth from near-Earth objects accelerates. As Bill Nye says, we're just trying to save the world. For Planetary Radio, I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society. I'm so glad that Matt is continuing to have awesome space adventures in his new role as Senior Communications Advisor here at the Planetary Society. It's awesome to have him pop back onto the show. You can hear the extended edition of our coverage from the 2023 Planetary Defense Conference in the podcast and online version of this show at planetary.org radio or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'll be right back for what's up after this short break. Hello, I'm George Takei. And as you know, I'm very proud of my association with Star Trek. Star Trek was a show that looked to the future with optimism boldly going where no one had gone before. I want you to know about a very special organization called the Planetary Society. They are working to make the future that Star Trek represents a reality. Boldly go to build our future. Hi, this is Kate from the Planetary Society. How does space spark your creativity? We want to hear from you. Whether you make cosmic art, take photos through a telescope, write haikus about the planets, or invent space games for your family. Really any creative activity that's space-related. We invite you to share it with us. You can add your work to our collection by emailing it to us at connect at planetary.org. That's connect at planetary.org. Thanks! Welcome back to Planetary Radio. And now it's time for What's Up with Bruce Betts, the Chief Scientist of the Planetary Society. Hey, Bruce! Hi, Sarah. Really good to see and talk to you. Yeah, you too. And, you know, here we are in the United States not having fun adventures in Vienna with Matt and Casey. So, you know, we have to have our own adventures. 
We're way more fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's going on in the night sky this week? All right. Night sky, bright Venus, of course, still over in the west, unless it's cloudy, in which case go inside. It's brightest star-like object. Can't miss it. Mars is significantly above Venus, looking reddish. Be kind of fun over the next several weeks. Watch Mars and Venus get closer together. Very exciting as Mars drops lower. And it will also be passing through Gemini and will be hanging out near the twin stars of Gemini, Castor and Pollux, over the coming weeks. Uh, and in fact, they make a nice, nice line on May 15th with Mars, Pollux, and then Castor. And then down below them is Venus. May 5th is the peak of the Eta Aquarids meteor shower, which is uh, better than average usually, but it's a full moon this year, so that'll wash out a lot of them. Uh, it is better in the southern hemisphere than the northern hemisphere. It's good for several days before and after, or it would be if it weren't for that pesky moon. May 5th is that peak. Uh, oh, pre-dawn, I forgot people wake up in the pre-dawn. Or stay up until then. You can see Saturn looking yellowish, getting higher and higher over in the east. And uh, Jupiter's starting to try to come up. And it'll be coming up over the next few weeks. Very bright Jupiter in the east in the pre-dawn. There we go. We did it. <laughs> Yay. We move on to this week in space history. 1961, Alan Shepard becomes the first American in space with a suborbital flight. And 20 years ago, 2003, Japanese launch Hayabusa, the first asteroid sample return mission. And they've done Hayabusa 2 since then, and it's cool stuff. Speaking of cool stuff, Gesundheit. Thank you. So, did you ever wonder, why is JPL located where it is? Maybe not. But here's the answer. It's because Caltech-crazed grad students under Theodore von Karman were looking for a safer place than the campus to do dangerous rocket experiments. And uh, they settled on the Arroyo Seco, a mostly dry, small canyon area. Uh, and they did crazed, dangerous stuff up there. And their uh, JPL was built next to Arroyo Seco, uh, basically as a result, because that turned into the core of what would eventually become JPL. All right, we move on to the trivia contest. And I asked you, where in the solar system is the best place to go if you want to find sulfur dioxide frost with best judged by me, if there's any question? How do we do? Thankfully, we didn't need you to regulate too hard on this one because most people got it right. The answer is Io, that super-duper volcanic moon of Jupiter. Indeed, it spews out plumes of sulfur dioxide that go up hundreds of kilometers and then uh, freeze out and fall as a frost and form the white stuff that you see in the pizza moon's pictures with all of its multiple colors. The white tends to, is often sulfur dioxide frost. I love that you call it the pizza moon because a lot of people wrote in to call it pizza moon. <laughs> uh, but our winner this week is John Hernandez from Colorado, USA. And you get a copy of Phil Plate's Under Alien Skies. So I'll be sending you my personal copy that I got, which is awesome. I love too. so many people. Anytime you talk about IO, everybody writes in to say, IO, IO, it's off to work we go. A whole whole musical number in almost every single message. So that, that was lovely as well. Wow. Didn't expect that. All right. So what's our question this week, Bruce? Well, I went to a quality 
high class stuff this week. What's the official name or the official designation for NASA's toilet on the ISS, International Space Station, also to be used on Artemis 2? Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. That's kind of a little bonus uh, random space fact that, you know, same basic design. Because the original question is pretty funny, but I did not know that it was the same one on Artemis 2. That's super funny. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing not funny about um, excrement in space. Well, all right. You have until Wednesday, May 10th at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us your answer. And whoever wins this week is going to get themselves a Stay Unextinct sticker from our Planetary Society Chop Shop site. Get yourself a cool little sticker with the dinosaur. Remind yourself that planetary defense is important because ain't nobody got time for going the way of the dinosaurs. This is so true. Stay unextinct, everybody. All right, everybody, go out there, look out the night sky, and think about three little fishies swimming in a pool. Thank you, and good night. We've reached the end of this week's episode of Planetary Radio, but we'll be back next week with updates from the world of space science and exploration. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by our Earth-defending members. Mark Hilverta and Ray Pauletta are our associate producers. Andrew Lucas is our audio editor. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which was arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. And until next week, Ad Astra. Ad Astra.